Take your Bibles this morning and please join me in the book of Genesis in chapter 9 as we continue our series through this book on Sunday mornings. Last time we covered the first seven verses of chapter 9, and because I jammed so much into that sermon, I'm not going to try to recap all of that, and so if you missed it, please go back and listen. There was a lot given. Let's jump right in here and let's continue to look at these early moments in the post-flood world immediately after Noah and all that were on the ark have now disembarked. And let's begin today in chapter, or verse 8, and let's read through verse 17. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, with every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you, and every every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, And it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Amen and amen. As you can tell from our text this morning, we're going to be talking about the rainbow today. And I debated on whether I should even address this. I'd imagine it's already come to some of your minds. And maybe you're wondering now if I'm going to. And of course now we're all thinking about it. After I debated on whether or not I should address it, I debated on where it should go in the message. I didn't really like where it had appeared. I felt like it was a distraction from where we were heading in the message. And so here's what I've decided. I'm going to go ahead and get the hijacking of the rainbow out of the way now. And then we'll come back to our regularly scheduled message. The devil's the one who's hijacked the the rainbow. I'll say more after this, but we are... It's clear in our text here, we can see that the rainbow is a sign of God's mercy to this earth. It's a sign that God will never again destroy the earth with a flood. And what's interesting is the Bible also talks about a rainbow which appears around the throne of God. Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was like to look upon a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Ezekiel in chapter 1, he sees a vision and he, he describes this throne at the end. And in verse 28 he says, As the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. Talking about round about the throne of our our Lord. 
Listen to what he says. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard a voice of one that spake. And what do we read in Hebrews 4.16? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. God is a God of mercy. Hallelujah. He says, come before my throne and obtain mercy. And surrounding His throne is a bow. What does the bow represent? God's restraining mercy. Proverbs 20, 28, Mercy and truth preserve the king, and his throne is upholden by mercy. The rainbow that we see in the cloud, it is a sign of God's mercy to this earth. And as Ezekiel states, it is part of the glory of the likeness of the Lord. This is a big deal, the rainbow. And so it should come as no surprise that our spiritual enemy would hijack a symbol of God's mercy, a, a symbol of God's glory, and pervert it into a symbol contrary to God's original design. In Acts 13, Paul's having to deal with a sorcerer. And he says to him in Acts 13.10, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord. It's clear the devil wants to take that which God has established and pervert it. That means he wants to distort it, misinterpret it, corrupt it. And he certainly has done that to the rainbow. In the 70s, an anti-Christian gay man named Gilbert Baker was encouraged to develop a flag which could be a symbol of pride for the gay community. And he did that. And on June the 25th, 1978, Baker's rainbow flags were flown at the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade celebration. And ever since then, the various versions of the rainbow flag have been synonymous with what is now known as the LGBTQIA plus uh, movement. And though Gilbert Baker is the one given credit for developing the rainbow flag for the gay community, we understand who was ultimately behind it. It was none other than Satan himself. Our enemy was working through Gilbert Baker to pervert something God gave to this earth as a sign of His mercy. Now just think about it. Out of all that could have been chosen to represent gay pride. And by the way, if pride's connected to it, that ought to be a flag right there. Out of everything that could be chosen to represent gay pride, why was it something good from God's Word? Because our spiritual enemy wants to pervert what God has established. The rainbow is really a sign of God's restraining mercy, but today, the rainbow has been twisted to represent lifestyle choices being lived without any restraint. Do you see how Satan is at work? And yes, they are lifestyle choices. The rainbow is part of the description of God's glory, but it's been twisted to describe lifestyle choices which can never bring God glory because they are an abomination in His sight. This is not my opinion. 
The rainbow, which is a blessing from God to the earth, has been made to represent lifestyle choices God can never and will never bless. The rainbow, which should bring joy to the earth when seen, has been perverted to represent lifestyle choices which anger God. And so the devil has taken the bow and he has turned the truth of the bow into a lie. Romans 1 professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the Creator, or excuse me, worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change their natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which is meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. That's how Satan works. He takes the truth and he corrupts it into a lie. And God is so absolutely clear in His Word on this matter that it is utterly shameful that we have so-called churches embracing what God calls abominable. Listen, the, the rainbow doesn't belong to the wicked perversions of this world, it belongs to God. God said, I do set my bow. And it's a slap in the face of God to even suggest that He offers inclusivity for everybody. No, my friends, listen to me. Our Lord died for mankind because He cannot be inclusive. He cannot be tolerant. And he said, I have to die to make the way because you need to be holy. And the only way that's going to happen is if you come to me through Christ. And so don't don't buy this lie that God somehow just loves. Doesn't matter the lifestyle. Doesn't matter your sin. God just loves. He is a God of love. Thank God. But he cannot include any outside of Christ. And, and that's no matter the lifestyle. Yeah, that's right. And so for anyone to suggest that the rainbow is somehow a token of God being merciful and loving and embracing to all choices of human sexual perversion is to suggest that Christ's sacrifice wasn't necessary to deal with all sin. And yet, God hates sin so much that He offered Himself as the only sacrifice acceptable for our sins. Therefore, if God was tolerant and inclusive of all sinful lifestyles, then why would He go through the agony and the torture of sacrificing Himself in our place for our sins? It makes no sense. But hallelujah, He did sacrifice Himself. Now listen to me, because I know some are going to, oh, you're homophobic. No, you're just heterophobic, but listen. I know what some are going to say. 
I want you to hear my heart. Thank God he did die for, for sins. He died for the sin of homosexuality. Just as much as he died for the sin of being a pious Baptist. So let me be clear. I'm not suggesting that we need to be hateful or rude toward anyone. If you've been here long enough, you know that's not me. Gay pride and pious pride both stink in the nostrils of God. We don't need to be hateful, but we should seek to win the lost. Listen, we have a mandate from God to lift up our voice like a trumpet. And, and call sin, sin. Right. All sin. Amen. And you should know I'm fine with anybody coming in here to sit through a service. Amen. Yeah. Doesn't bother me one bit. But not all can join the church. Amen. I'm fine so long as somebody comes in here seeking truth. But the moment that they want to drag others into their perversion, I have to step up as a shepherd and say, no, you cannot do that. Amen. 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 So you may be thinking... Come on, preacher, we're, we're, we're fundamental Bible believers. This can't be an issue here. I want you to listen to me, church. The idea that God is fine with LGBTQIA+, is everywhere. I'm saddened to say I've dealt with it many times in our church and school. Our church, our school. It's everywhere. I'm well aware there may be some sitting here today who are battling this sin. And some are probably trying to justify it in the sight of God. And you can fly all the rainbow flags you want, whether overtly or covertly, through your cleverly designed nail polish, jewelry, clothing. Yeah, I know how it goes. And, and, and you can lie to yourself all you want, but it will not change God's heart or God's word. And what you need to do is you need to learn to let God be true, but every man a liar. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Isaiah 40 and verse 8, The grass withereth and the flower fadeth. Let me just pause right there and say, Times come and times go. Culture changes. But the word of our God shall stand forever. You see, God's Word will always trump the culture. And you must allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing you. Psalm 119.9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy Word. Psalm 119.11, Thy Word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And so if you're struggling with your sexuality today, Don't believe the twisted lies of the devil. But go to God's Word. Get His heart on the matter. And and listen to me. You don't have to be ashamed to come and talk to me. I've I've talked to them all. I've had the cross-dressers. I've had the homosexuals. I've had the lesbians. I've had them all in my office. Don't be embarrassed. You need help. And I I know that's now a crime in Canada to say that. But you need help. You have a sin nature, I have a sin nature, and the only way this can be dealt with is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through His Word. And I want you to know that God offers forgiveness and victory through Christ. Thank God. We want to help, but you must agree with God's Word and not the devil's lies. 
Well, that's the hijacking of the flag. Let's go back to our text. That was message one. Last time in verses one through seven, we saw man's responsibility to God. And now in verses eight through 17, we see God's responsibility to man. Not that he owes us anything, but this is what he said, this is what I'll do. We see in the opening 17 verses, you be fruitful and I'll be faithful. There's a responsibility, there's a balance here between the responsibility and laws for man and the promises and signs from God. Remember at the end of chapter 8 when Noah came off the ark, he first built that altar, he offered a sacrifice and and as that ascended, God smelled a, a sweet savor and he said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. And I highlighted last time that was something God had said in his heart. But now in chapter 9, he's beginning to verbalize this to Noah. Well, Noah and his sons, as we'll see. And so what God is doing here really is He's making this known to all mankind because it's in His Word. In verse 11, God says to Noah and to his sons, Neither shall all flesh be cut off anymore by the waters of a flood, neither shall there anymore be a flood to destroy the earth. And, And God is so serious about this, we see that He establishes this as a covenant. And it's mentioned seven times that word. And this covenant is between all humanity, all the animal kingdom, all who are born into this world. God is making this with all of us. In verse 9, God says, with you and with your seed after you. And then He continues in verse 10, and with every living creature that is with you. And then He breaks that down of the fowl, of the cattle, of every beast of the earth, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And so God has now obligated Himself to act in accordance with this covenant. And this covenant is still in effect today. In fact, verse 12 says this is for perpetual generations. Or it literally means this is everlasting. And God will not flood the earth again as He did because God who promised cannot lie. And so God is making it known here after the flood, I'm not done with mankind. Why? He had every right to finish the deal. Because He said back in Genesis 3.15, I will bring the promised seed. And He will crush or bruise the head of Satan. He's going to keep His promises because God cannot lie. He's going to provide the means of our redemption through Christ. And so God is starting over with man after His judgment by the flood, and God wants to give you a brand new start today. He wants to start over. He he wants you to have that start over through the miracle of the new birth. And He can do this because He has judged sin, and He's satisfied with Christ's sacrificial death for all that will receive Him. Now, we see that God has given a sign for this covenant. And I took a bunch out of this message for the sake of the saints. Amen. What what a blessing I am. You'll often find these signs, but I I took all that out. But 
the sign of this covenant, he says in verse 12, this is the token. In other words, this is the sign. In verse 13, we learn what this token is. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, the Hebrew word for bow, it's not rainbow. We call it a rainbow because that's when we see the thing. But it is actually the same word that you would find for a bow and arrow, which I find very interesting. And, And God says, I'm putting my bow in the cloud. God is hanging up His bow of judgment in the cloud. A global flood cannot happen again. It's off the table. God said, I've hung my battle bow up. And sure enough, when the bow is seen from the ground, it's never bent toward the earth. It's always bent towards heaven. God is merciful. And in verses 14 and 15, when God sees the bow in the cloud, He will remember his covenant between him and every living creature that he, that he will no longer use floodwaters to destroy all flesh again. Now, you may recall when we were in chapter 8 that when the Bible says God remembers, it's not that God forgot. It's really quite the opposite. He never forgot. When we read God remembers, remember it means he's about to make a move. In Genesis 8.1 where we studied that, and God remembered Noah and every living thing and all cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth. God remembered uh, Noah. He acted. When, when we read God remembers, He's about to act. In Exodus 2.24, And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. And of course, then God acted through Moses. So when God says He will remember His covenant when He sees the bow... God is making a move with respect to His covenant, which in this case means God is going to move Himself to restrain Himself from allowing floodwaters to overtake and destroy the earth again. Which tells me God has no problem flooding the earth. He said, I'm going to make this covenant because I could do this again like that. Amen. I mean, all the haters out there, oh, it was a local flood. Quit being stupid. All right. I mean, how dumb. He's making this covenant with all flesh. Why not just make it with those locally? All right. Focus. We got silver state and we got to move. And so God is making a move to restrain Himself. Notice the wording again in verse 15. And I will remember my covenant. This is good because it's not up to us to remember the covenant. This is a blessing, amen. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, God does not say, and when ye shall look upon the bow, and ye shall remember my covenant, then I will not destroy the earth. But it is gloriously put, not upon our memory, which is fickle and frail, but upon God's memory, which is infinite and immutable. The bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant. Oh, it is not my remembering God, it is God's remembering me, which is the ground of my safety. It is not my laying hold on His covenant, but His covenant laying hold on me. End quote. In other words, this covenant is based upon God's faithfulness, not ours. What a blessing. In verse 16, God says, And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it. And isn't this interesting wording here that God says? He says, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God, 
myself, between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. So this is all up to God. And, and what a blessing of this covenant and sign of the bow given to Noah and his sons. I mean, can you imagine you just went through this storm? Everything you knew, everybody you knew, it's all gone. And you get off the ark and you start to feel a raindrop. You think you might have some PTSD? I don't know. But you might be thinking, well, we're about to get destroyed. Because we're going to see before this chapter is over, they're not perfect people. And God had every right to destroy them again. And, and so this is actually uh, such a promise of blessing to them because they would have been terrified that God's about to destroy them again when, they, when it started to rain. And so this covenant, get this now, this covenant sign, this covenant in general, it brought peace. <laughs> I love this. Because I know where I'm going. Amen. And so what we have here is we have God's completed judgment. We have God's covenant. We have God's covenantal sign of the bow. God hung His battle bow on the cloud because the judgment of a deluge is over. When God sees the bow, He will be merciful. And this is an everlasting covenant which brings peace. Now is this ringing a bell yet for anybody? When we understand this about God's covenant here, we can make some applications to the new covenant, which is the covenant that God places us under once we are born again, once we come to Christ. In establishing the new covenant, God came to this earth by robing Himself in flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in order that He could judge sin by sacrificing Himself upon the cross. And just before Jesus bowed His head and willingly gave up the ghost, He said, it is finished. God is saying there that the price for sin has been paid in full. Sin has now been judged. According to the book of Hebrews, there remains no more offering for sin. It's finished. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. With the judgment of sin now complete, God established His new covenant. Did God give a covenantal sign under the new covenant? Yes. Now, I did a search and many are saying that it's water baptism. But that's not the sign. We have something far greater. And people want to make the leap to water baptism and say, well, you know, this, the sign of the Abrahamic covenant was circumcision. And so baptism makes sense. But no, listen. Listen to what Jesus Himself said in establishing the new covenant. Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament. That word testament and covenant, they're identical in the Greek. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five. He took the cup when He supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. Hebrews 12, 24, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than of Abel. So the token of our new covenant, God's new covenant with us, is the blood of Christ. And this gets so good. Lord, help me not take a lap right here because it'll just really spook people. Amen. Uh, but, but listen, just like God's battle bow of judgment has been hung up in the cloud, 
Isn't it interesting that the cross behind me resembles an upside-down sword planted in the earth? What a blessing. The judgment for sin is over. And, and, and for those in Christ, anyway, it's over. And, and God has put away His sword against the sinner who has been washed in the blood of Christ. Just like the bow brought peace to Noah, so the cross brings peace for all who receive Christ. His judgment for our sin. Colossians 1.20, listen to what it says. And having made peace through the blood of His cross. The cross brings peace. Why? Because Christ made peace. What a blessing. While we see the cross, (laughs) this gets gooder and gooder. God sees the blood. Whoop! Come on now, we're about to take off. And, and like when God sees the bow, He will move in accordance with His covenant. When God sees the blood of our Passover lamb, He moves in accordance with His new covenant. Amen. When the Passover was instituted in Egypt, God says you got to take the blood of the lamb and you got to put it on the lintel and the doorpost of every house that you want me to pass over. Right? Because the death angel's coming. And, and listen to what it says. It doesn't say when you see the blood, I'll pass over you. God didn't say when you see the bow. And, and in Egypt, God said, not when you see the blood, but God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Listen, we're, we're worthy to be destroyed. Come on now. We, we ain't arrived. We ain't nothing special. We, we deserve to die. Even those here under this new this, this Noahic covenant, we, we, we deserve death. And yet under the new covenant, God... He has every right to destroy us, and yet He looks at us, those that are in Christ, and He sees the blood, and He moves in accordance with that covenant, and He says, I'm restraining myself in my mercy. Whoop! Good night. Somebody say amen. He, He has a right to destroy, but He says, when I see the blood... I'll pass over you. My restraining mercy will take over because I've made a covenant with you. When God sees the blood, He cannot break His covenant. God is faithful who promised. Finally, the new covenant is also an everlasting covenant. You say, how can you say that? Because under the new covenant, guess what we get? Everlasting life. Listen, if you can find a way to prove to me that everlasting life can be lost, then maybe I'll I'll agree with our free will brethren. Free will Baptist brethren, for those who are wondering. We have a free will. But once you're in Christ, you have everlasting life. How are you going to lose that? Somebody ought to get excited right here because, listen, God, He has a right to destroy, but He sees the blood and He says, no, I've given you everlasting life. It ought to give you assurance that because God can't break His covenant with us, that we're secure. What what am I saying? Once you're in Christ, you're good. Preacher, you wouldn't dare say once saved, always saved, would you? Yes. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You say, well, how can that be? I don't deserve it. I know. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. You sinner. Saved by grace. 
Because remember this, folks, it isn't up to us. It is all up to God. When He sees the blood, listen, our safety is in Him. What a blessing. Spurgeon went on to write this, My looking to Jesus brings me joy and peace, but it is God's looking to Jesus which secures my salvation. Since it is impossible for our God to look at Christ, our bleeding surety, and then to be angry with us for our sins already punished in Him. Do you understand? Your sins are judged. They're punished in Christ. He bore the wrath of God for us. And so the closing question today is, are you under this new covenant? Have you been to the fountain filled with blood? Have you received the completed judgment of your sins through Christ? Listen to me. I know some of you ain't because you ain't looked at me yet the entire service. You're so embarrassed. Have you received eternal life? I asked the question at the funeral yesterday. Do you know that you've been born again? And only you and God know that. But every one of, in, of you in here know that. You know the answer. Has the blood of Christ been applied to your heart? When the time for God's eternal judgment arrives and it's coming. Brother Tim quoted it yesterday. For it is appointed unto man wants to die and after this the judgment. When your time comes to stand before the judge, will he see the blood and pass over you? Will He restrain His wrath in favor of His mercy because of the covenant? Let's pray.